Ephesians chapter 6 this morning. Ephesians chapter 6. When you find your place, if you would stand in honor of the Word of God. Ephesians chapter number 6. Uh, one of the things we did on Thursday with the college young people is they did a Q&A. They uh, allowed the kids beforehand to send in questions uh, that they would like to have answered. And they split it up, uh, put girls in one uh, room and guys in another. And they put a panel of us up front. There's about six of us that sat up front. And we had a list of 20 questions. And we basically went through the questions. And different ones of us would an- answer different questions. And that it went through. And then the last 15 minutes, they opened it up to uh, any random question that they wanted. And had a great time. It was a lot of fun. And uh, it, it really was. It was great, great opportunity. But one of the things that was mentioned, uh, I was sitting next to Pastor Doug Raines. And uh, he, he said, and I don't remember even the question. All I remember was the statement. And he said, if the family will follow, according to Ephesians 5 and 6, he said, they're probably going to be okay. And that thought just stuck in my head. And uh, I had an outline that I preached recently at a different place, and I really wasn't headed that direction. But then I started looking in Ephesians chapter 6, and I looked at just one verse, and the Lord nudged me to do this, which I, I don't necessarily do. But I want to I just, we're, we're going to do just a teaching lesson this morning on, on some things that I believe my children need from me. And that's it. Uh, very basic, nothing complicated, but I want to take our text verse out of verse number 4. Ephesians chapter 6, verse number 4, and it says, And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. I know we certainly wouldn't do this. The Bible will use words like fathers and mothers, and oftentimes if we're not careful, we'll sit there and go, ha, he's got this. Uh, as, as a mother and go, well, this isn't to me. Well, I know this. I've been married long enough to know that without a mother, it's really impossible to do the work of a father. Uh, not that a father can't do it on his own, but you need to. So this is not to the exclusion of mothers in the room and certainly not even to the exclusion of young people. You bear a role in the family that God has placed you into. But the two words I'd like to focus on as a matter of introduction real quickly are the two words nurture and admonition. And both of them are tied to the phrase the nurture and admonition of the Lord. So you could say the nurture of the Lord and the admonition of the Lord. Nurture, it means training, upbringing. Something that nourishes. It even says food. Amen, team boys. I just got their attention. Uh, Or, and I like this phrase, it says, the sum of the environmental factors influencing the behavior and traits expressed by an organism. Let me say that again, and I'm going to explain it. This is a key part to what we're going to talk about today. The sum of the environmental factors influencing the behavior and traits expressed by an organism. Simply said is this, not only is nurturing the active, purposeful instruction of my children and family, but it is also the passive influences that are creating the environment which will influence their behavior. That's nurturing. So, for instance, if we're going to nurture a plant, it's not simply that you just need to water it, not simply that you just need to weed around it and fertilize it, but it also must be planted in the right 
place. There are plants that do well here that do not do well in New York. Uh, why? Because it gets too cold there. That's why we live here. All right. Uh, um, but you have to plant certain plants in the right location. Why? Because the environment is as important as the watering of the plant. If you plant a, uh, a plant that only requires minimal sun and you plant it in the sun, you cannot water it enough to make it work. You cannot overcompensate for a bad environment. The reality is, when it comes to the, the realm of nurturing, I think sometimes we get one or the other right, but sometimes we don't make sure we get both of them right. It's not just important that I make sure that I am uh, teaching my children and making sure I'm putting into them the right things, but I also must make sure that the environment with which I am doing that is also going to be beneficial so that I can nurture them in the proper way. That's nurturing. Then we come to the next word, which is admonition. Admonition is simply this gentle or friendly reproof. Counsel or warning against fault or oversight. Now, to be noted, and pastors mentioned these things, that admonition is only necessary when there has been sufficient nurturing, but yet it has been disobeyed. I cannot admonish my children about something I have not taught them. Or admonition goes a step further in that I will warn them of things that are going to come that maybe I haven't instructed them yet. So admonition has the idea of I am keeping from them something that they shouldn't have or I am um, reproving them for something they have done that was wrong. So we see a differentiation here. They're not the same thing. Nurturing and admonition. Nurturing, if we could, is to sustain. Admonition is to reframe. Nurturing is to train. Admonition oftentimes means to contain. Nurturing is positive instruction. Admonition is negative reinforcement. Nurturing is adding appropriate influence to the uh, life of my child or family. Admonition is eliminating negative indulgences that they have been a part of. Nurturing is to build up. Admonition is to block out. Nurturing is positive encouragement of the right. Admonition is patiently discouraging the wrong. Nurture is approval of good friends. Admonition is disapproval of bad friends. See how they work hand in hand. You need both. It isn't that we're supposed to be nurturing or admonishing them. We are to be what? Nurturing and admonishing them. And the idea, it says, the nurturing of the Lord, it's regulating with persistence that which is helpful. Admonition of the Lord is removing and warning patiently of that which is harmful. And then obviously with it being the fact that it's of the Lord, if it is not grounded in biblical truth, regardless of the nurture and the admonition, then it has no value. Now I'm not saying that everything I teach, I have a direct Bible reference. But everything I teach... And everything I nurture and admonish should be built upon a principle that can be found in the Word of God. And if I'm teaching or admonishing or nurturing and admonishing that which is not of the Lord, then I must ask myself the question, of whom is it? 
I shouldn't be nurturing and admonishing them of me. That will only go so far. And usually not very far at all, especially in a positive way. So if I'm going to nurture them up, and then it says that I'm supposed to bring them up, it carries a connotation of this is something that has to be done from the moment that I am looking at them outside of their mother's womb to the moment they are no longer under the authority of my house. Bring them up. It's a constant, repeated process over and over again. I've said this many times. Uh, I've read a lot of books on child rearing and, and on everything. You name it, from, but especially child rearing. Uh, um, but you know one of the things I never found in those books? They lied to me. I'm just going to be honest. They lied to me. Even books that I recommend. They lie to you. And this is where they lie. They lie because they tell you if you do this and you teach them this and you instruct in this way, this is what they will do. The lie is in they don't tell you how many times you're going to have to do it. This is why I think parents get to feeling so much of a failure. They feel like I've told them and they don't do it. I told them and I've done it. I feel like I'm doing it exactly the way the Bible says. And I've done it five times and ten times and fifteen and depending on the child, fifteen thousand times sometimes it feels like. And it's not happening. And so sometimes you start looking at, man, I'm doing something wrong. I'm not doing it right. The reality is sometimes it just takes more than once. How, if this was not the case even in human nature, why would we have to come to church three times a week in order to be a productive Christian? You know why more in the house of God is better than less? Because we are humans, which means what? We don't get it the first or second or sometimes third or 20th or even 30th time. And with raising children, that's certainly the case. So if I'm going to nurture and admonish my children, what are some things I should do? I have a few things this morning I, like, I think are necessary in order to do this. Number one, the first thing that's essential in raising my children is that I, they need from me provision. Provision. All right. The Bible tells us very clearly, and this is a verse we all know, 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8. But if any provide not for his house, and specifically those of his own household, he had denied the faith and is worse than a what? Infidel. We know that verse. All right. And I'm not going to dwell on the fact that you should provide for your family physically. Men, provide for your family. All right. Enough said. We should know that. All right. Unfortunately, we live in a day and age in which we live now that is becoming something of an old thing, which is kind of weird to me that a man wouldn't naturally provide for his family. But that is not who we're going to speak about this morning. But it's not just talking about physical provision. What about emotional provision? Now, don't turn me off, guys. Now, I'm not saying that you're supposed to wake up every morning with a tear in your eye and walk around. No, you got problems if that's the case. All right. I don't need emotionally unstable and emotionally insecure men. All right. That is definitely not what we're going for. And that is definitely a reality in the day and age we live. But we're not going down that road. We're talking about this. It's not good, men, every time your daughter is crying that you have to leave the house. Oh, man, she's going to have to sort that out. Hey, that's a natural inclination. We do not. Hey, when somebody starts crying, you know what we don't naturally do, men? Run towards it. We don't naturally go, hey, let me help you. You just want to cry? Let me hold you. That's not natural. But you know what a daughter needs? Not every time. Because that might be a lot for some. <laughs> right, Liberty? All right? But do you know what? You know what? You know what? One, I've realized, you know what? It's okay once in a while. Here's the sad part. If we're not careful, men, I, you, you're not any less of a man. Because you let a daughter cry on your shoulder. I think we think in our minds, well, this is, this is the wife's job. No, it's our job. 
It's our job. And no, there's sometimes I realize, you know what? That needs to be handled by the wife. And I'm like, babe, you know, right? But you know what? Sometimes, you know what? You know what we need to do? We just need to, you know, she's having a hard time. We shouldn't go in there. We're not going to fix her problems because they can't be fixed. All right, we're not going to go in there and we're not going to solve all her problems. We're going to sit with her and just say, you know what? I'm here for you. And if you just need to cry, I just want to sit with you. I want to hold you for a minute. I want you to let you know that even when you're crying, I still love you. Amen. You say, well, what's important? You know what I want? I want one of these days. I, I've got a daughter that's going into this realm. And no, I, I put a sign. My daughter still doesn't know this, but I put a sign on the back of her every day at that young adult conference. And I said, don't even think about it. Yes, I'm carrying. All right. <laughs> you know, hey, look, I, 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 I am definitely not embracing that as much, but I know that's a reality. You know what I don't want? I don't want my daughters thinking that in order to get a man... To help her, they have to go somewhere other than their father. I want even in their hard days, they know that dad will be there because I'm not running every time they need me to provide a shoulder to cry on. And then we don't physically, emotionally, most importantly, spiritually. Am I providing? How do I provide for my family spiritually? I have to be in the word. I have to get them in the word. I have to enforce what the preacher says. I have to refuse to allow those things that are wrong and carnal to abide within my home. That spiritual provision. I provide for them the right resources. I provide for them the environment of a house of God like this so that they can grow spiritually. I provide them as much a time with Pastor Ben and Miss Faith as I possibly can. Why? Because as a spiritual leader, I recognize other spiritual people that I want them to be a part of. That's providing for them spiritually. Not only need provision, they need protection. Now, hey, we're, we're in Texas, so I am fully aware that every man in here, his house is well protected. Probably overprotected. And we're proud of it. I, I'm, that's not what I'm talking about because I think we've got that one covered. I, I'm talking about a different... Go with me to Job chapter 1. Job chapter 1. Hey, my children need me to protect them physically. All right, that's part of my job. All right, if I, if I do not take that part seriously, then I am wrong. But I don't believe, especially in the area which we're talking about and the men in this room, I don't believe that's something we really need to dwell on. But there is another aspect of this protection that I think sometimes we overlook and we minimize a little too greatly. Job chapter 1 verse number 5, and it was so. When the days of their feasting were gone about that Job sent and sanctified them and rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job continually. In Hebrews 13, verse 17, it says, Obey them that have rule over you. And this is what it says. For they what? Watch for your souls. You know what my number one job in protecting my family is? It's not watching their physical well-being. And yes, I shouldn't put hazards in front of them. And as they're younger, I do need to eliminate from them certain things that may harm them so that they don't uh, uh, unknowingly uh, maim themselves for life. Yes, I must protect them from that. But my number one job as a father and your job as a mother is to make sure that I am protecting them and the area of their souls. And the idea of watching for the souls has the idea of, in the Old Testament, is used a lot, but it's the idea of a watchman. 
a watchman. This is the person that is assigned to be on duty. Why? To keep those within the walls of that city or wherever they're protecting safe. And here's the interesting thing about a watchman. The job of a watchman is not to protect from within. If the watchman is having to protect from within, he has already failed in his job. A watchman is to observe the danger from afar and prevent the danger from coming in. A watchman, a good watchman, number one, is observant. All right, a good watchman, nothing slips by him. Another characteristic of a good watchman is he is aware Constantly notices things that are out of place, recognizes danger before it is actually harmful. Another thing about a good watchman, he is always on duty. You know, the only time I get a break as a watchman is from the hours of about midnight to five in the morning. After they're all asleep and before all of them are awake. That's my only off duty. And if I happen to be awake during that time, I'm still on duty in the area of prayer. I'm not saying this is my only responsibility in life. I'm not saying this is the only thing I do, but this is something I must take seriously. But the most important job of a watchman, not only to be observant, always aware, always on duty, but the most important job is found in, in, go with me to Ezekiel chapter number 3. Ezekiel chapter number 3. I want us to look at this this morning. I know this is stuff we've heard. I know this is stuff we know. And maybe this is just for me and that's okay. Ezekiel chapter 3 verse number 17. Son of man, I have made thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. And then he says why? Therefore, hear the word at my mouth and give them what? Warning from me. You know what the number one job of a watchman is? warn. A good watchman is not somebody who just sees what's happening. A good watchman is who sees what's happening, is aware of the danger, and then most importantly, alerts everyone within his realm of authority that there is a danger. If I am not alerting them concerning the danger, then I am failing as a Watchmen, I I have to deal with this because I naturally believe that everything, no matter how bad it is, will be okay. That's me naturally. Naturally, I'm burying my head in the sand and it'll be okay. That's me naturally. Naturally is I see a problem in between two college students and I'm like, ah, they'll sort it out. That's me naturally. But you know what? That's not what a good watchman does. A good watchman sees two college kids that are at odds and he says, you know what? This is a danger. And if I don't alert them to this danger, then I am failing in my job as a watchman. A good watchman in the home is somebody who recognizes and is aware and notices when a spirit's not right or somebody is not uh, happy or there's something just not right. And, And usually... Because I'm home less than my wife. The first thing I do is I go and I talk to my wife. Hey, I noticed uh, Trinity is, is a little uh, down today. Is there something I can do? And she's like, nope, it's not a big deal. It'll be okay. You know what? I trust my wife and I let it go. But what am I doing? I'm saying, look, I see something that's maybe not there that I think is right. And I, it's my job to check into it. And if it is a danger, then I need to alert her to the danger that's coming in. If I'm not actively alerting to the danger coming in, I'm failing. As a watchman. And guess what's going to happen to the souls of my children? 
So I have to make sure that I'm not only providing, but I got to make sure that I am what? Protecting. What do I protect them from? I must protect them from themselves. Right? When they're little, I got to protect them from themselves. I got to protect them from themselves when they're teenagers. All right? I got to make sure that they, the stove is hot. Uh, teach them, hey, you're not Superman. All right? That cape will not make you fly. So do not jump off the roof. Right? I've never had to tell my children that, but I have a brother-in-law that he probably better tell his kids that. All right? Because I know Logan's not that way, but, you know, if he has enough kids, one of them's going to be like him. And they're going to try it. Why? So what does he have to do? He's got to warn them from themselves. I've got to teach my boys, hey, fire, I know it's really cool to play with, but not in the house. Because if you burn the house down, your life is in danger. Right? And not from me. From the other authority that lives in this home. Right? Uh, uh, no, I got to protect them from the, I got to protect them from their friends sometimes. Sometimes I need to, and I have to always protect them from the fiend, the devil. It's my job. Watch out how he can get in. And I've got to protect them from their flesh. I got to make sure that I'm eliminating as much opportunity from them that I possibly can. I got to protect. I got to provide. What else do I need to do? And this one's a little bit, uh, uh, I'm just going to say it. You know what I need to do? They need for me. They need me to play with them. You know, Absalom. He wanted to get back into Jerusalem. And his dad wouldn't even give him the time of day to get him back in Jerusalem. It wasn't even a matter of taking off a day to go play golf with him. He wouldn't even play with him. Hey, I took my boys golfing on vacation this year. You know what I did not do? I did not play spectacularly well. You know why? I was distracted. But you know what? I didn't go out to play good. Hey, they wanted to go. They're old enough. They want to go. Hey, let's go play. Let's go spend some money. Let's go sweat a little bit. Let's go try to dump you out of a cart because that's what I really want to do. <laughs> All right? Hey, your kids need to play. You know, when was the last time you just played with your kids? You know, it's interesting to me. Sometimes when they're little, we're better at playing with them than when they get older. And when they're little, they don't even remember it. But when they get into 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 years old, we're not playing with them. We're not playing football with them. We're not doing little things. So I'm too wore out. Well, you might want to get unworn out because it's essential. It's part of it. All right, sometimes you got to get some liquid energy on the way home from work. It's okay. You don't have to feel bad about it. Embrace it. I do. All right? It's helpful. You say, well, what are you going to learn by playing? One, number one, you'll learn it will reveal their pride level. You ever played cards with, I mean, play Go Fish with little kids, and you got a five-year-old that's crying at the end of Go Fish. Yeah. You know what that I just learned? i got a pride problem. Hey, I love the competitive nature. But you know what? I need to get that in the right place. You know what? If I hadn't played a game with them, me, them, I wouldn't have known that. And then they're 20 years old and they're completely out of control when it comes to their competitive nature. And they lose their attitude and their spirit and their testimony every single time they play a game. Why? Because as a father, I never played a game with them so that I could sit down with them and say, you've got to get control of your spirit. This is a game. And this is not life. And this is not worth crying about. And you're going to solve this now. At five, at six, at seven. But if I'm not playing with them, how am I going to figure that out? I don't just, it doesn't just reveal their pride. Uh, it creates memories. I, I love this. I, I, I mentioned this in a meeting we were at in about Alabama. I, I, this is permanently seared into my mind as a family memory that is fantastic. I could take you to the spot. We were in Harrisonville visiting in-laws, and we decided to play a game of kickball. This was many years ago. I would say at least eight-ish years ago. All right, Liberty would have been walking, so let's say seven. Seven years ago, 
And we're out there playing family kickball. This is a good reason to have a lot of kids, right, team? You can have your own kickball game, right? And so we're out there having fun playing kickball. And Uriah gets up, and, man, he kicked it good and solid. And Benaiah was pitching it, and it knocked Benaiah right upside the head. Knocked him clean on his backside. And, uh, and Uriah thought it was the funniest thing ever. He couldn't hardly run. He's laughing so hard. And Benaiah's crying his eyes out, and all of us are laughing at both of them. And we just made a great memory. And we're going there and picking him up and laughing about it. And he's got Spalding right here. And you <laughs> You know what you do? You're making memories. You're making memories. You say, well, what's the important part of that? You know what that does? That ties a string between my heart to their heart. And you know what happens in life? Strings get cut. But the more strings that I'm connecting as they're growing up, and that's a string connected, that's a string connected, that's a string connected, that's a string connected. That as life goes on and those, they do get cut over time, whether you do something wrong or life just hurts people. It, life is hard. It hurts. And you know what happens? A string gets cut here. But if I have enough strings connected, then it won't matter those little things that come along because there's still plenty of strings connected. And sometimes the best way to connect some strings is just jump in a pool with them and hold them under until they think they're going to drown. <laughs> well, maybe not. All right? Uh-uh. But... You know, I get in the pool at Liberty. Throw me, throw me, Dad. I'm like, that was fun when you were five. And I'm like, sure, I'll throw you. And it's like, Dad, it wasn't very high. Like, let's just go with I'm getting old. All right, let's go with that. I don't know. You know, what are we doing? We're connecting strings. We're making memories. Why? These are valuable in making sure that I'm raising children to honor and glorify God with their life. And you know what it does? It shows them that you're human too. Because when you're playing a game, you're going to make mistakes. You're going to look like an idiot. Uh, um, this was not with my kids. This was with my other kids or with the college kids on Tuesday night. We, we, we flew up to the conference early, had a good time playing around with the Coca-Cola factory and just chilling, having a good time. And they heard this game. Where do they find out these games? Oh, I know where. On the Internet. It's where college kids find everything. But it's called the quiet game. I thought, I'm like, I like the quiet game. Let's go take a nap. All right, but that's not the quiet game for college kids. So the quiet game, I don't know if maybe you've heard this, it's fantastic. And what you do is you take a blindfold and you blindfold somebody and hand them a Nerf gun. And then you're in a room, then everybody just goes and stands or hides or you can hide or stand, doesn't matter, but basically you hide in the open because they're blindfolded. And then this person with, that is blindfolded with a Nerf gun is walking around the room and trying to shoot people. And when they shoot you, you're out. So they're, they're walking around trying... I am telling you, within 15 minutes, we all had massive headaches. We were laughing so hard. It's a, I mean, they, somebody's walking up, so they have no idea because they can't see. And they got the, the gun holding right here next to someone. You can't move. And they're, they're just like this, and they're trying not to make a noise. Because if you make a noise, they know you're there. And you're laughing so hard, but you can't laugh out loud because they know where you are. So you're trying to laugh quietly. And they got this picture, and they sent it out. And it's, I look like an absolute idiot. But that's what a person looks like when they're standing on a chair and they're out of control laughing and they're trying to hold it all in and at the same time they're pointing and it's the goofiest looking thing I've ever seen in my life. It's a horrible picture. I hate it. And they love it. You know why? I played with them. You know what? Forever it's going to be indelibly marked in my mind and their mind is that night, that moment where I look like an idiot. You know what? And I loved every second of it. You know, sometimes it's just doing it. I can't wait to do it with my family. I'm going to get one of those 80 ones that shoots like 80. You don't even have to go look. Just start shooting. 
No, what do you do? You play with them. What are you doing? You're making a connection. And you're, you're, you want that the older they get. Number four, you praise them. And I'm going to move along quickly. I know I have more than three points, but I promise I already went through the ones that are going to take the time. Just because there was a previous generation that did not need praise and maybe not really good at giving it, doesn't mean that it is sinful to give it. I'm not condemning them. I'm saying we're different. You say, where do you find that in Scripture? Oh, it's real. I'm glad you asked. Because in Matthew chapter number 3, Jesus Christ himself goes to John the Baptist and John the Baptist baptizes him. And as Jesus Christ, who needs nothing, comes up out of the water, what does his father do? This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And he didn't whisper it in his ear. He spoke it from the cloud so everybody could hear. And if that wasn't enough on the Mount of Transfiguration, when Jesus Christ's closest disciples are up there on the mountain, guess what God does again? He repeats the phrase again. And I'm just saying that if Jesus Christ and God had such a relationship that God praised his own son, perfect son, that just maybe my children might need it a little bit. You say, well, man, they're going to get boastful. Not with the amount of praise you're going to give, I promise. <laughs> right. If you still think it's a problem, I promise. Say a kind word. It'll be okay. I promise. It's going to be all right. You know, they need to hear once in a while that they're not just a knucklehead because we know they are. And guess what? By this time, they know too. But you know what? They oftentimes, unfortunately, don't know. They don't know how much you are proud of them. They don't know how much you appreciate the work that's gone into that. They don't know how much you appreciate that they get up and read their Bible. They don't know how much. Why? Because you haven't told them. They need to hear praise from my mouth that I am thankful for what they're doing. Here's what's ironic about it. We'll go to a coffee shop, spend $5 on a cup of coffee, and when they hand it to us, we'll say, thank you. They didn't do nothing, and you paid them for it, and you still say thank you. When was the last time your kids did the dishes and you said thank you? When was the last time your kids at the table and said thank you for doing that? This makes no sense. We'll thank somebody when we shouldn't have to, and we won't thank our own children or our wife or our husband when they have rightfully earned it. You know what my children need from me? They need praise. You know, when you won that woman, men, one of the ways you did that, you're so beautiful. You cook so good. And even if you didn't really mean it, you have such a beautiful voice. You're the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. Why? Because we knew that maybe not the only way to get somebody's heart is to brag on them, but it's one of the ways. You know one of the ways to keep my children's heart? Let them know I appreciate them. You say, well, if I say thank you, they're going to just think they're perfect. No, they won't. Because five minutes later, you're going to have to correct them on something, I promise. They're kids. This does not counteract. This is not in place of. This is to be added unto. They need praise. What else do they need? They need personal time. You know, the first time we see God and man, it's God seeking out man for a relationship. Why? Because we all seek personal one-on-one time with our father and our mother. And this gets tricky when you have more than one child or more than two or three or four. Why? 
Because you need to know, my children need to know that I don't just love them. I love them. I don't just love my children. I love each of them. And they're going to know that if I spend time with each of them. Pastor Ben takes one of his kids every Wednesday night on a date night on the way home, just one at a time. Why? It's a 30-minute drive where it's just you and one of your children. Why? They need personal time. My wife is really good about going to the store and grabbing one of the kids to take with her and do that. Why? It's just one-on-one time. You're not taking a half of your day. You're not taking it. It's sitting down with one of your children at a time. How was your day? How did it feel like today? All right, what do you, Trinity, if I'm talking to Trinity, hey, what you been reading? What kind of books you been going through? All right, what are they like? Man, her eyes light up. She starts talking about books. Hey, you know what? This is, I got to spend personal time. Uh, find ways to to. Spend time with different groups of your children. You say, well, I only have two. Well, that's easy. One and one. All right? I know for us, when it comes to Valentine's Day, I take out the girls, the boys take out mom. All right? Well, guess what we get to do? We get to train the boys how to treat a lady, and we get the ladies get to know what it's like to be treated like a lady. All right? And I get a chance to spoil my kids. It's super fun. All right? It's an opportunity. What? To spend personal time. And quickly, I'm just going to mention the next couple, and then we'll move to the last one. We'll be done. Number one, number six, actually. We have to have a positive attitude. Positive attitude. Now, in Philippians 4, 8, think on these things. You look at the list. What are they? Positive. Positive. You say, well, how do I do that? Well, one way is to take a break from parenting. You've got to take a break. You know how to, you know how to love your kids? Absence. Hey, I'm just trying to be honest. Well, hey, you say, well, man, we're busy and, uh, and we can't afford a babysitter. We can't get a babysitter. Then guess what, fellas? I'm sorry, but maybe you're going to have to stay at home with the kids and the wife gets to go do whatever she wants. Just go get a mani-pedi. Why? Because it will help your children if your mother, if their mother gets a break. Hey, men, we get a break every day. We go to work. We don't need as many breaks because we naturally have the breaks. Wives need a break. Hey, you know what? I saved this young man's life on many occasions when I came home just in time. <laughs> he knows. You know what? They needed a break from each other. You can't always love somebody. You tell me, I don't care how long you've been married, you want to spend every waking moment with that woman or that man their entire life. Tell me. Anybody? I mean, no, we all need a break from everybody. And we think that mothers don't need a break from their kids. All right, why? This is how we foster. You know what positive attitude takes? It takes work. You say, it should come naturally. Well, good luck with that. All right, we gotta have a positive attitude. We gotta pursue his will with them. Pastor preaches on this really well. Minister with your kids. All right, we know that. I'm gonna just mention it and keep on moving. Now, this is the only one that doesn't have a P because I had a P word in here, but it's not biblical. So I'm going to say the word correction. You know what my kids need for me? Correction. I had punish, but that's not even a biblical word, so I pulled it out. You know what they need? They need correction. The Bible tells in Proverbs chapter 3, My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, neither be weary of his correction. For whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth. Even as the father of the son in whom he Delighteth. But we're not talking about screaming at them because they spilled something. We're talking about biblical correction. Several things I want to mention. Correction must be clear. Clear. 
And clear correction can only be in place if the rules have been clearly stated in the home. If they do not know exactly what they're supposed to do, then how in the world are they going to ever do it? This is how we do this. This is the rule in regards to treating your siblings. And if you do not know, do it, this is the correction or the punishment for these actions. Our houses need rules. The rules must be enforced. And when they are disobeyed, there must be correction. The reason young people can commit the most heinous crimes on the planet today is because they never came face to face with the consequences of their own actions. Hey, I, I, I know all about this. I was in a plane yesterday with an out-of-control child right in front of me that screamed for about half the flight. You know what that person's raising? A criminal. Because that person's never going to know that we don't do this or else this takes place. You know what my children need from me? Correction. They don't want it. But this isn't about what they want. It has to be clear. Punishment or correction is not only clear, it must be careful. I must never correct in anger. Because the moment I correct in anger, they are thinking in their mind, as long as I am in authority, I can sin. And it's okay. Because anger is sin. It must be clear. It must be careful. It must be according to the word of God. We're not getting how we correct our children off the internet. We're not getting how we correct our children based off of some Spock that wrote a piece of junk book back in the who knows whenever that was. That, that is not even a day thing that we think of now. It's so far gone. That's not even the reality. Your kids need to hear no and not 35 times in a row. They need to hear no. And if they still disobey, then it is what? Time for correction. You say, guess what? It takes time. Oh, absolutely. Man, it interrupts my day 100%. I don't have time for it. No, the moment you had a child, you demanded now you have time for it. Well, so, man, that's going to make me late. Probably. Look, my wife, everybody knows this. My wife's not necessarily always on time. But you know what? Sometimes she comes even a little bit later than normal. And this happened not too long ago. And I was like, babe. Why are you so late? I'm trying to be a good husband here. And she's like, well, actually, one of your children. <laughs> I'm like, great. I didn't even ask which one. I didn't want to know. She's like, we had to deal with it before we left the house. I said, fair enough. It's going to happen. All right, they're going to interrupt your day. You're going to be busy and you're going to, man, this is, especially guys. I mean, we are so goal-oriented. Man, I'm going there, I'm going there. Kids, get out of the way. Uh, we're on a road trip. Uh, no, I'm not stopping. It's only been two hours and 45 minutes. We don't stop till three hours and 15. Hold it. Why? Because we have somewhere we're going and don't get in my way. I'm the worst at this. But guess what correction demands? Correction demands I put on hold what I'm doing and I'm not ticked off that now my life has been so horribly interrupted. And this is one of the best things about having children. It, it, especially, I'm, I can only speak for myself on this, but it really helped me to come face to face with the reality of how selfish I am 
how consumed with myself I am and my plans and my goals and my dreams. And it was a slap in the face. That was the first. I, getting married was just grace. I, doing everything you did, just doing with your best friend. That really didn't really affect my life in that way. Man, having kids. And guess what? That hasn't stopped. Almost, thankfully, not as daily as it was. But you know what you have to do? You have to do it carefully. Stop. Make sure I'm not ticked off that the person I love so much is actually needing something from me. And maybe it just happens to be correction. Not only correction is clear, careful. It has to be according to the word of God and that I am making sure that I'm doing it according to the way the Bible teaches it. Withhold not correction from the child. Chasten thy son while there is hope. And lastly, we have to pray with them. Hannah in 1 Samuel chapter 1, she prayed for a son and she was in such great agony over that prayer that the man of God thought she was drunk. And we all know the story. And she prayed Samuel into this world. And then the, it doesn't, her prayer doesn't stop there. Then you see when she's dropping him off at the house of God. I, this is what I think. The Bible doesn't say specifically. But I think she gave him back to the Lord. And I personally believe that when she already realized Eli was pretty clueless about discerning what was going on when he accused her of being drunk. All right. So she had to know already. Eli's, she knows Eli's sons are a disaster. And so when she goes to drop Samuel off at the house of God because she promised that she would give him back to God, she's leaving Samuel in a house where the track record of the guy that's going to raise him is really not good at all. And we already know Hannah was a prayer warrior, but I guarantee her prayer intensified. Knowing that, God, if you don't raise this boy, he is hopeless. And the reality is this, parents, if he doesn't raise our children, we're hopeless. If he's not involved in this, we, are, we have no chance. And it's not just enough to pray about them or for them. We've got to pray with them. They've got to hear our heart for them. We've got to hear our heart for the day and the things around it. My wife, oftentimes before she leaves the house, will pray before she goes praying for safety. I appreciate the fact that she prays uh, for the safety of uh, just traveling around in this city. Uh, um, and besides, the Lord knows, her, her driving might need a little extra prayer too. But, what, but the, the reality is this prayer is important. We pray about everything. All right, We can't find a shoe, pray for it. We, man, I was looking all over for this. I can't find it. This is my wife. She goes, have you prayed? No. Well, pray about it. I can't, literally, I couldn't tell you on both hands and both feet how many times we've prayed to find the stupidest things. And within minutes, we find it. You know what that does? You say, that's silly. That's, no. That's teaching your children that no matter how small it is, God cares. You say, you would have found it anyways. I want them to think that God showed them. It has to be a part of their DNA. Why? Because it's very hard to be self-sufficient when you think he's doing it all. We got to pray with them every day. First part of that verse, you fathers provoke not your children to wrath. Here's the lie of the devil. The lie of the devil is this. If I raise my children according to the word of God, they will hate me. 
The reality is, is if I don't raise them according to the nurture and admonition of the Lord, the Bible says I will create within their hearts anger. And you say, well, man, I'm looking at how the Bible teaches me to do this, and this makes no sense. I know. It's called faith. Well, I just don't understand how this biblical truth is going to work. Good. Do it and have faith and watch God do what he does. And then it's wonderful because then when he does something right in their life, you're like, what? You did right? Thank you, God. Because you realize it's not me. It's him. Father, help us. There's no doubt we all want to be the parents that we should be. We all want to raise our families in the way that they should be raised. And Lord, help us to constantly be taking things that you give us in the word of God. Teach us to put them into our life. Help us as fathers, as mothers, and grandfathers, grandmothers, aunts, uncles. Lord, help us to invest in every child, even those maybe that don't have kids here. Lord, they have no idea the impact that they put into these children without even being their own parents, just by being faithful in God's house, by doing right, by being faithful, by praying for them. Help us all. Lord, we need this church. We all need each other. I can't even imagine trying to raise my children without the help of the church, the help of my friends, and most importantly, the help of our Heavenly Father. Help us as we move forward to move forward on our knees. But Lord, to constantly be noticing areas in our lives and in our families where we can do better. We can add this. We can eliminate that. We can do this better. Make this better with a better attitude or a right spirit. And Lord, they're often little things, but Lord, they go a long way. Give us the wisdom. Give us the humility to accept correction, accept reproof from the Word of God and move forward with our needs for our family. 